Well, I opted out of some really important training when I was in high school, training from my mother that I should have taken her up on. And this sort of training was called cooking training, <laughs> cooking help. I remember my mom offered to me countless times, do you want me to teach you how to cook? And I remember thinking, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to learn that. I don't need to know it right now. No big deal. I'm going to skip it, you know? And it wasn't till later when I got married to a man who eats man food for dinner, right? Not the apple and peanut butter and toast that I'd been having, right? But he needed like meat and potatoes that I realized I wish I would have learned from my mother how to cook. That would have been wise. Well, I have to tell you now, after 14 years of marriage, I do know how to cook. I did figure it out. I was given a cookbook called Four Ingredient Dinners, and I started there and took off, right? So I can successfully make a meal for our family, and I do. But if someone said to me, all right, you know how to cook. You've got those skills. I want you now to prepare a five-course meal, right? Go into your kitchen. I want you to make all the sauces from scratch. I want you to do everything for a beautiful five-course meal. I would think, uh, help please. What are the steps? What do I do? What do I go buy? What are even the five courses? I, I can only think of four, but there's gotta be five in a five-course meal. What are those things? Give me some practical support, help, tips. I need this instruction, right? Well, our passage today is very simple to understand, very clear, and it might be something you already know about, you already have some, uh, you know, expertise in, you've already learned some things, but we're going to see that we need to get a little bit more specific into what it looks like. Let me read our verse for today. It says this, Titus 2.4, so train the young women to love their husbands and their children, Okay. Go, go do it. End of sermon, I am done. Oh, I'm gonna relax, right? It's not hard to understand. It's kind of easy to understand what that text means. But we need help, do we not? We need some specifics, we need some goals, we need to identify challenges, blind spots, and that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna dive into this text and see how we can better grow in loving the people that are under our roof, that are in our homes. Well, if you remember from our passage last time, it's been a month, let me catch you up to speed with our text and where the context of where we find what we're studying. Heather introduced us to this concept of women encouraging women, right? This beautiful model of God-ordained discipleship where we get the baton from someone farther ahead of us and we pass the baton on to someone behind us. And we see in our letter that Paul and Titus, they established a church in Crete. They established a church, and then Paul has left, and he is now writing a letter back to Titus to give him some instructions for how to run the church, what to cover. And in chapter 2, the chapter that we're looking at, he is providing him with specific things to instruct various groups of people. We see the older men, the younger men, the older women that we studied last time, and now we see the younger women, what the younger women are supposed to be taught. And so let me read our whole passage, 
And it says this in Titus 3 through 5. It says this, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, if you're thinking right now, this is not for me. I can check out. I can go on my phone. I don't have a husband. I don't have children. Just remember me with the cooking, right? I did eventually need that instruction. So maybe someday you will want this instruction. Maybe that is coming. Or maybe that time has passed and we need your wisdom. We need your help and instruction to guide the next generation of young moms. So don't check out, but check in as we dive into this text. And before we really get to our two major topics that we see, I want to talk about the type of woman, the type of younger woman we see who's supposed to receive this kind of instruction from the older women. And that's where we're going to go for point one. You can write it this way. You and I, we need to become teachable women. We need to become teachable women, a teachable woman, right? A passage starts with the phrase, and so train the young women. Train. The older women are to train or teach. This Greek word sophro means encourage, advise, urge, instruct, bring to their senses. I like that one. Or what I've said is a godly wake-up call, right? The person who's being trained needs to be willing to receive those things in their life. And I've, I've chosen the word teachable. That word teachable means you have an ability to learn. You're willing to get something new. And you're also willing to be assessed by someone else and be instructed to be farther along. Teachability is the opposite of the toddler who's in my home who says, no, I do it. I do it, right? Have you seen that with the toddler? I mean, especially the fourth kid. He thinks he can do everything the older kids can do. And so when I'm trying to teach and instruct him, I, I have to say, he's not real teachable at times because he thinks he's already got it figured out. A teachable woman recognizes their need, their great need for other people in their life to help them along. Proverbs 9.9 says it this way. Proverbs 9.9 says, give instruction to a wise man or a wise woman, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The wise and the righteous person, when they receive instruction, they're going to get wiser. They're going to increase in learning, which means they're going to receive it, to take it in. This really helps us to see our dependence on the body of Christ, right? We need these women around us to help us with those godly wake-up calls that we may be blind to, spots that we may not see correctly. And really, this means that we need to fight pride in our life if we are to be a teachable woman. You and I, we need to be committed to fight pride when it comes to receiving that instruction. Proverbs 11.2, 11.2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. 
but with the humble is wisdom. We can see this sort of pride when we see that defensive response to instruction. Have you ever given that defensive response? That, well, who are you to say? I've seen you deal with that. Uh, 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 well, I've been meaning to talk to you about something, you know. I, this has got a list of, right? Or that anger that bubbles up, that defensive anger when someone's striving to speak into our lives. Or we may see that pride when we're even in the counseling office or talking to someone and they're giving us instruction and we say, yeah, I know, I know. Oh, I got it. I know that. I already know that. I've got that. We don't want to have that prideful approach to our life where we feel like we've got it figured out and we do not need the women around us to help us in our growth, in our holiness. A woman with a teachable spirit sees the necessity and importance of having godly counselors. And whether you're 18 years old or whether you're 80 years old, we all need to have people that we turn to, that we look towards. And, you know, let me just tell you, there is not one woman who has it all together. She may look like she does, but she doesn't. None of us have it all together, and that's why we need a variety of women around us to turn to, to ask for advice, to say, please speak into my life. I need your help. Remember, we are both the instructor and the student, are we not? We are farther along spiritually, if we're a Christian, than someone else. And so we get to turn around someone behind us in our faith and pass on and instruct and encourage and give a godly wake-up call to them. But we are also to look forward to someone who's gone ahead of us, spiritually farther, so that we can learn and gain wisdom from them. Paul is writing to Titus about the church in Crete, and the church there had a lot of different worldly ideas sneak in, a lot of different things being taught to the women, the younger women, that were not in line with God's word. We have an abundance of counselors out there, don't we? If I don't know something, my kids say, just go on YouTube, mom, right? Just go on YouTube. And of course, you can find great things on YouTube, right? But there is an abundance of counsel of teaching from people who are not necessarily going in the same direction as we are going. And we need to make sure that we look for those women that we can embrace their instruction. Proverbs 19.20. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Do you listen to advice? Do you accept instruction? Are you a teachable woman able to receive those training, that teaching from someone who's farther along? I think one specific application of this text already is if you do not have someone that you have said, please tell me, please talk to me, please point out sin, please give me that instruction. If you haven't found a few of those people who are farther along, you know, don't let this summer pass you by without identifying some of those women in your life. And you can say to them, I will try not to get defensive. I will try not to be prideful. I want you to speak into my life. I want to become more like Christ. And I see you as a significant part of that in my life. Well, when we put forth the effort into becoming a teachable woman, 
we are able then to be instructed in these two large categories that were taught in our verse, to love our husbands and to love our children. And so that's where we're going to go with point number two. You and I, we need to put our husbands above our own needs. Put your husband's needs above your own needs. To be a husband lover means that we do this daily, faithfully, consistently. What was so interesting about this text to me in studying it is the women, the younger women that were being instructed to be husband lovers, that's what the word means, literally a husband lover, they may not have chosen their husbands, right? They were arranged marriages where someone else had put them together. We've chosen our husbands if we're married. At one point, we were ooey-gooey in love with them, right? We picked them. And yet these women who didn't have that choice, they are, were still called to love their husbands, to sacrifice for their husbands. And if you're not married in here, you can still encourage women just like Jesus wasn't married and Paul wasn't married, they can still, then they did still encourage us with the wisdom from God's word of what it means to love a spouse and to follow God's word. Love in the Bible, I'm sure you know, is not characterized by feelings or emotions, right? Love is self-sacrificing. We see that in the example of Jesus We've had so many messages talking about Jesus' love and service and sacrifice to us. I mean, you probably think about, like I do, Philippians 2, that great passage that says that we are to count others as more significant than ourselves. Or maybe you think about 1 Corinthians 13 when you think about loving your spouse and all of that description of what it means to love him. Well, biblical love means that we deny self-love. And let me tell you, that is a very, very common article. If you're to look about God, you know, having a good marriage out there right now, it is about self-love, self-care, self-esteem. I read various articles about how I'm supposed to love myself more. Well, I already love myself a lot, and so do you. We are born to love and to think about ourselves. What the Bible calls us to do is to put our husband's needs above our own. This goes back to our vows, right? To have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part. I even heard of a man put in his vows that I will do the dishes every day. I was like, why didn't I write that into Mark's vows? I missed an opportunity. I mean, what an amazing act of self-sacrifice self right there. But those vows where we said, this is what I commit to do for the rest of my life with you. I'm going to put you above me. And this can be difficult. This is definitely a difficult task as we often are tempted to think about what we want, what we deserve, what they should do for us, how if I could just have this or if he would just do that, then it would be better. I could love him better. But the Bible says 
we're to love, even if he doesn't just do this or doesn't just do that. Our call as women is to love our husbands. And so let me give you a few specific ways, and there are a variety of ways, but let's focus in on three areas of how to love our husbands and be husband lovers, as our text says. The first one is to embrace your role. Embrace your role in your marriage to support his role and to embrace the one that God has given you. God was creating everything and said, this is good. The animals are good. The water is good. The sky is good. Man is good. And then in Genesis 2:18, this just jumps out at me every time I read it. God says, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. It was not good that Adam was alone. And so God created Eve, that first marriage, brought him to the man as his helper, as his companion and partner, right? And this doesn't mean that Adam is better than Eve. Both are offered salvation. Both are made in the image of God. But God did create someone to lead and someone to follow. And our role as women is one of following, one of helping, one of a companion and partner using all of our gifts, all of the things God has blessed us with in order to help our husbands and support them in their role as the leader. If this is a difficult area for you, this is a great opportunity to ask a godly woman ahead of you to help you. If you see the nagging, the fact that you speak over him, that you take charge, that you make the decisions, right? Or that you're usurping his parenting in the home. Then this is a great place to begin with one way you can help love your spouse more. I heard this example in a book I was reading and I thought this sort of pictured it well. Husband comes home and says, where do you want to eat tonight? The wife says, I don't know, you pick. He says, Mexican? Nah. Chinese? No. How about that place on the pot? No. Right? She says, you pick. But really what she's saying is, you try to figure out what I want, okay? You, I'm trying to get you to choose the place that I want. I don't even know what I want, but I'm hoping you figure it out, right? I'm hoping you to lead you in that way. <laughs> and that's a funny example, a lighthearted example, but are we stepping into the role of our, the leader in our home? Because the first step in stopping that is to stop, is to step back. There might be a gaping hole at first because you've been taking charge and you'll need that support of the friends around you going into God's word to be praying about it, but we need to step back and say, God, we want our husbands to take that role. We want to do what Ephesians 5.33 says, and it says, let the wife see that she respects her husband. She respects her husband by acknowledging his role as the leader in her home. And I know that this is not a popular idea in the culture, both the world and also creeping into the Christian culture. This is not something that is celebrated, the idea of male headship of the husband leading but ladies we need to be that helper as we desire to fulfill the role God has designed for us well the second way we can love our husbands is to date 
our spouses. You need to date your spouse. Yes, I know you're already married to him, but you need to continue to date him. And what I mean by that is that you continue to get to know him and build that relationship. You continue to go in conversation with him. You continue to find out what he likes and what he wants and what he needs. My mom tells a story about when I was dating Mark and how everything she said would come back to him. There'd be a bowl of oranges on the table and she'd say, Bethany, do you want an orange? And I'd say, Mark likes oranges. <laughs> and she's like, okay, uh, do you want an orange or not? You know, Mark likes that car. Mark said something, you know, and I was just, all for him. I knew everything he liked, what he didn't like, because I was dating him. I was getting to know him, and I loved it. After 14 years of marriage, he's different, and I'm different, and I need to continue to get to know him, to listen to him, both his spoken needs and his unspoken needs. We need to make sure we ask our husbands even, how can we serve you better? What can we do to help you? What are the top three things I can do to help you? And then make that a priority. We need to spend time with them. We need to go on dates, actual dates too, but we need to make sure that we put our devices down or our hobbies aside or we turn off the Netflix or we set aside the book, whatever it is that may be keeping us from really getting to know our spouse, really having that conversation and communication to show him that he is our top priority. He is the one in our home whom we love most. Well, I think the third way that we can be a husband lover is by encouraging our husbands daily, encouraging them with our words. After years of counseling, my husband says that this is what he's convinced is the greatest way a spouse, a wife can support her husband is in the encouraging words that she speaks to him. The way that she thanks him, the way that she encourages him and spurs him on and shows him that she is on his side and encourages him not just for the tasks that he does because that may feel like, okay, she just wants me to do more tasks around the house, right? but encouraging him for who he is, for his courage, for his hard work ethic, for his love, even something small that we may see in them, to bring that to light and to thank and spur our husbands on. I mean, have you had a teacher, that inspiring teacher that they keep putting in movies over and over, right? That teacher who sees the raw talent and encourages and pushes, and that student rises up. You've seen those movies, right? Have you had that person in your life? And they've got, you, you were able to go farther than you thought. You rise up to the challenges. We need to be that champion, that supporter for our husbands where we are the ones pushing him forward to do more by the way we encourage and love him. Not by the list of expectations we add to his plate, but by the way we are his support. And that includes, of course, praying for him, right? To encourage him is to pray for him, to go to God's throne on his behalf, 
to pray for his needs, his wants, his dreams, to pray for success in his temptations, his struggles, his parenting, to continue to go to the throne on his behalf. Well, what's keeping you from being a husband lover? I know there are great challenges in marriage. I know that something that could be keeping you from really loving your husband well could be a bitterness or a lack of forgiveness in your marriage. Colossians 3.13 says this, if one has a complaint against another, we need to be forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. If you've been forgiven by God, we must now forgive the offenses against us, the ones done repeatedly, the difficult ones. We need to let go of that and not become bitter or hold that grudge because that is going to keep us from following this command and doing it well. But there might be something else. There might be a hobby in your life that just robs the time, right? There might be something where you're just focused on something else that you want to be involved in. And just by shifting that around, just by doing less, that would help you to live this out more. Another reason that there might be a challenge for you to do this is that your husband is difficult, right? You are in a tough marriage. It's okay to say it like it is. Some husbands are difficult. Some marriages are difficult. If you had a broken arm, right, you would say, my arm is broken, I have to adjust. I have to work with what I have. It's in a cast, I can't use it. I'm gonna make the best of the situation. If you're in a tough marriage, it's okay to say, this is a tough marriage. I can't wallow in self-pity about it. That's not going to help. But it's a hard one, and it's okay to say that. And it's okay to come to people and say, I need help to do the best that I can in this tough marriage. And it's not going to be beneficial if I wait around for him to change or if I am down on myself or down about it but instead I need that support. I need that godly help so that I can move forward and do the best with the marriage that I have. Well, it also could be a challenge for you to do this because your children have taken the place of your husband. This is so common, this child-centered home where now the child or the children are really the top priority. They really are the one that is above our spouse and we are putting all that effort in. I mean, they're noisy, they're needy, and they voice it. Our husbands are grown men. They can figure it out themselves. So sometimes that thinking creeps in and we just need to switch around our priorities and line them up with what God's word says. That marriage covenant is first and then our children come next. But of course, if we look back at our text, we know that that's where we're going to go next. Let me remind you of the verse that we are diving into today. It says this, train the young women to love their husbands and their children. These are big issues. We need to love our husbands, but we also need to love our children. And so that's where we're going to go for our next point. The verse... 
Our point says it this way, selflessly train your children. You and I, we need to selflessly train our children. I don't have to convince you with a cute story that being a parent is a lot of work and is selfless, right? We give up a lot of hot food and sleep and our bodies, right? There's a lot of things that we have to be selfless about in having children and having them in our home. But what's the purpose for this? What's the goal in our parenting? Our culture might say it's to make them happy, to supply their needs, to give them what they want, to give them all the opportunities, right? To make sure they're well-rounded with all these extracurricular ideas or to make sure they're healthy or to make sure that they can live out the American dream and be successful. But what does the Bible say about our job as parents? The Bible says that we need to make our top goal salvation. We need to make our top priority in parenting in taking them as far as we can to Jesus, all about him, all about God's word and the plan of salvation, walking them right up to it, recognizing that we can't save them, we can't do that work, but showing them as much as we can so that God can open their eyes and save them. We need to point our children to Christ. I think it's so interesting that the Bible really doesn't say what schedule your children should be on or what sort of snacks they should have or how many extracurricular activities are too much or whether the type of schooling that they should be involved in. The Bible does not have those specifics, but the Bible does say we need to train up our children in the fear of the Lord. We need to teach them about our God, and we need to teach them about God's holiness, right? We need to teach them about who God is. He is holy. He is perfect. He is set apart. He is like none other, and he is the one that creates the standard of perfection. And then we need to teach them about sin. We need to teach them that they are sinful, that they have a sin nature, a desire to do wrong, that they won't live up to God's standards, that they cannot reach that goal, and really that they're helpless before God. And then that's where the gospel comes in, does it not? That's where we show them the message of forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ, that we point them to Jesus and his work his life, his death, and his resurrection, and show them the hope of the gospel, that they can be made right with God. Proverbs 22.6 says it succinctly. Proverbs 22.6, and this encompasses more than this spiritual training, but it says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from him, from it. Make sure we have that spiritual instruction. We are teaching them about Christ. And then, of course, we need to make sure we model it, right? If you and I, as mothers, if we pursued holiness that much harder, if we forsook sin, and if we became more like Christ in our own lives, do you think that would have a great effect on the children in our homes? Yes. So much of what is taught is actually caught. You've heard that, right? More is caught than taught. They are watching us. 
So as we decide to work on the areas that are not in line with God's word, as we really get serious about our sin and pursue a life of holiness, we're becoming better mothers just in doing that. But Ephesians 6.4 gives us a few more specific things that we can do to selflessly train our children. Ephesians 6.4 says this, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Our church likes to say we need to correct and direct our children to have that discipline and that instruction. We were sitting around the dinner table the other night, and my husband was telling the kids what mommy was going to do, why she was studying, why she was praying, what she was working on. And he said to them, she's going to talk to the mommies out there. What is the one thing that she could tell the moms to do to love their children? And I'm thinking, this is going to be good. And of course, the little one says, snuggles. And we're like, oh, that's so cute. I love that. But my 10 and my 8-year-old had different responses. My 10-year-old said, you need to teach them to discipline their children, mom. I was like, okay, that's right, woo And then my eight-year-old boy said, Mom, I think you need to tell them to spank their kids. And I was like, you know what, it kind of made me laugh, and I, I was surprised. We had taught them why we did this. We had instructed them and showed them why we bring discipline into our home. But I think they also get a front row seat to parenting with our little guy. I mean, they'll walk over to me sometimes and say, I think Aaron needs a spanking, you know? Could you, could you deal with that? And I'm like, you're right, accountability, let's go, right? I mean, even my children can see that this is the one thing they think would best show love. That was the question, how to show love to their children. Godly women, we are called to discipline our children when they sin. This is not a popular idea in our culture. This is not something that is praised, but this is something that the Bible says over and over to parents. We need to provide a negative consequence for sin so that it keeps them from further going into that sin, that keeps them from those rebellious acts. Proverbs 22.15, Proverbs 22.15 says it this way, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. The rod, if you're not familiar with that word, is what you might picture in a shepherd, right? The shepherd had different tools to help keep the sheep in line and to guide and protect the sheep. Well, one was the staff with the big curve at the end, but the rod was a smaller club used to tap the sheep used to direct him back in, sometimes used to provide a little bit of a painful consequence when danger was ahead or when they were wandering off the path. The rod for us then is a tool used to curtail the folly that is bound up in our children's hearts. Pastor Mike in his book, Raising Men, Not Boys, says this, a painful consequence for your son or daughter's rebellious act will curtail his rebellion and save him. A painful consequence is given in that 
faithful use of the rod, that faithful, consistent discipline. Now, I know that this can be done wrongly, right? This can be done sinfully. Maybe in your home growing up, it was done so. Maybe you haven't seen it modeled in the correct way. But the Bible says that we apply that rod, we give that painful consequence because we love our children. We don't do it in anger. We don't withhold fellowship. We don't yell. We don't scream, right? We, we sometimes need to get our hearts ready and prepared before we give the discipline. We know that this can be done wrongly, but the Bible is so clear that when we discipline our children, it is an act of love. Proverbs 13, 24 Proverbs 13, 24 says it like this, whoever spares the rod, whoever doesn't use the rod, whoever fails to discipline, hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. We know that discipline changes, of course, as they get older, right? And we stop giving that spanking, using that rod, but we might provide a painful consequence in another way, a loss of a privilege right? Something that does cause pain, a loss of dessert in my household, a loss of screen time, missing out on something that they want in order to help keep them from those sins that they want to commit that is already in their hearts. And I think the Bible is full of warning for parents who forsake doing this, who maybe don't feel like this is for them or they don't want to do this. Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. But we also need to make sure with that correcting, with that discipline provided, that we also provide direction, right? Ephesians 6, 4 has both. Direction, then, is providing positive teaching and encouragement to equip your children. Not just this is the discipline, don't do that, but let me find out why you did that. Let me talk about what that shows in your heart, and let me help you to refrain from that sin. Let me teach you what the Bible says about that, whatever it might be. We're providing that instruction to help them be on the right path. We need to then teach the Bible. It needs to fill our homes, and there are so many resources around here for how we can do that, ways that we can put the Bible in front of our children. We need to make sure that we don't forsake spiritual instruction. I'm sure we're giving them instruction in a lot of other ways. Hygiene. Maybe we're doing their schooling. Maybe we help them throw the ball in the backyard. Are we giving them that spiritual instruction step-by-step, showing them how to live a godly life and not leaving them on their own. And that definitely includes addressing those biblical or those cultural issues that we see from a biblical worldview, right? Abortion, sex, gender, all of those things that we see in our culture. We need to show our children that the Bible, God's word, his truth, speaks to those issues. We need to practice the habit over and over of Taking them when they have those questions, well, I heard this, I saw this, Mom. What about this thing? Tommy on the playground said this. We need to take them to God's Word and say, this is what the Bible says about that. Let's see. 
Because this is truth. This is God's word to us. And you know, that's why we need to be involved in church. Maybe we don't have all the answers about gender or all these things coming up. We don't know what to say. That's why we need to be invested here and to be trained here so that we can better instruct and equip our children to face this world rather than shy away from the topics or hope somebody else addresses them. Well, just like every young gymnast right now is about to see the Olympics and be motivated and inspired, they're going to watch those Olympians and think, I can do that. I need to listen to my coach. I need to work harder. I need to stretch more. I need to add another practice because I want to do the Simone Biles thing, right? They're going to be motivated just like I am, and I think I can go in the backyard and do some of those moves. I hope that this text that encourages us as women to love our husbands, to love our children, and to learn from others around us, I hope we're inspired and motivated to put that effort in, to be open to the teaching around us, to look at someone farther along spiritually and say, I need your instruction. I am open to it. I want to receive it because I want to live a godly life. I want to do what this text says, and I want to honor God in my relationships. I want to honor God in my home by loving the people under my roof well. So let's pray to that end. Dear God, we just thank you for this text. We thank you for the truths in it, and we thank you for revealing to us the areas that we need to adjust to become more godly women, more holy women who seek after you. God, I pray for us to be teachable, to be humble, to recognize that we don't have it all figured out, and to look to those women before us, and to look to the women behind us as we love and support and teach them as we embrace really this beautiful discipleship, this godly discipleship that you've ordained. God, I just pray for these conversations, these discussions, that they would be honoring to you, that they would be fruitful, that there would be great growth as a result of this text and what you've shown us tonight. We pray this in your son's holy name. Amen.